G'day listeners and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Code. I'm Mike. I'm Campbell. And this week we uh, talk about Emacs. We cover a bit of a history of how both Cam and I got into using Emacs as an editor. Um, and then we just go through just the the aspects of Emacs, um, just our experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so we hope you enjoy the episode. G'day to you, Cam. What have you been up to lately? Well, we had the Easter weekend and I did a bit of uh, eLisp development. Um, I worked on a package for uh, auto-formatting eLisp, so I've already already developed it, but just did a few bug fixes and improvements to it. Maybe mm. get it ready for other people to use at some point. At the moment, it's just I just use it for my own code. Mm. Um, what else? Using uh, MyPy, getting into statically typed Python. Um, you can define all the types for a Python script and um, it'll give you type errors or show you information about where types might not be correct. Um, yeah, so just going through some of my personal projects and um, using MyPy, adding type information and finding out uh, some things I'd overlooked, which was interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's about it. How about you? Um, not too much. The The main thing that we've been up to lately is um, the, the, the whole family has um, in recent days been... Um, violently, violently ill um, off the the back of a, a particularly savage bout of um, gastro. So that's that's been our our life for the last little while. Uh, and immediately prior to that, we'd I think we'd been through not one but two different types of cold. Um, so we've all been crook for like three weeks now. So hopefully we've uh, gotten to the end of it. We'll we'll see how we go. Yeah, and this is thanks to childcare uh, arrangements. Yeah, yeah. So we've recently been taking the kids to a, like a larger um, childcare place, uh, more kids and stuff, and the whole thing's basically a big incubator for all sorts of uh, virulent diseases. Yeah, I've heard so, this. Yeah, so a lot of fun. Um, but like I say, I'm hoping that we're we're pretty much through to the other side now. Um, but yeah, apart from that, just when I'm getting a few minutes here and there, just. Uh, uh, still tweaking things in uh, my Ansible configs for, for my machines. And um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. I, I should mention, you asked what I've been up to, but um, since last recording, we had a little baby boy. And so he's been taking up a bit of time too. So uh, yeah, yeah my mind- I would say congratulations, <laughs> but I, I did already know about this. Yeah. So yeah, I was like jumped to thinking about Elisp and MyPy, but um, actually other things have been going on too. <laughs> there, Yeah. There was some big news there. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> How's he sleeping? He's sleeping really well. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe I think the sleep problems might come later, but so far so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, you, yeah, that's how it is with the kids. You just enjoy it while while the going's good. Yeah. Yep. I want to follow up on last week's episode um, about specifically the clothes folding machine. I had a look into clothes folding <laughs> machines, and <laughs> and um. It was it was exactly what I expected. Someone's made a clothes folding machine. It's the size of a fridge, and you you painstakingly feed your t-shirt into it and wait for it, and then pull it out. And I'm assuming that this this machine is for industrial applications. I don't yeah? know. It was like it was a Kickstarter, and it wasn't that expensive. It was you know one to two thousand um, dollars, so mm. not ridiculously expensive, but. It was very limited. You had to like, it was like feeding, you know, you have the t-shirt already flat and 
you put it in or some pants they were already flat and you would put them in and it would fold them for you and it's like well that's not the problem if i already have to get the pants and sort them out and make them flat and put them into a machine i may as well just fold them you know yeah the obviously the guys working on this didn't do enough uh, focus group stuff with cam so yeah and the other thing is it's like there was a lot of buzz and they seemed to be active until 2019 and then it just like quietened off and there's no been no reply since so they did crowdfunding and there was anyway i'm not meaning to like kick this project as being particularly bad it's just the kind of thing that you keep seeing it's like there's a lot of activity but then it's not quite good enough and then things die down and you don't hear from them um Mm. so so i think it really needs to be um you know you just need to be able to give it a bunch of clothes and tell it to to sort things out which is much harder like i say it's, it's all about having a market for it um to get to get enough funding uh, to get enough money to make solve the problems that's that's what it is okay but uh, sure yeah okay <laughs> yes you're right michael <laughs> well before we get too far into rehashing stuff from previous episodes um we should probably uh, get on with this one um for this episode we thought we'd cover emacs uh Using it to get the job done as a, a text editor, yeah, and just um, go over, you know, our our experiences with with using Emacs, and yeah, you know, just cover off the the good, the bad, and the ugly. So with that, we'll get into it. So this is mainly going to be based on, like I say, our, our individual experiences with using Emacs. Um, so as far as that goes to, to start off with I suppose um, it's probably good to just to have a bit of a, a quick rundown of how we found our way into uh, using using Emacs as a as a text editor um, what was the uh, the story there for you cam I was um, sort of switching between um, an IDE cute creator CNC++ development and vim I sort of moved mostly to vim I was interested in extending adding my own plugins and stuff which I had done for Qt Creator, well, just scripts and stuff, really. And I was looking to do the same thing for um, for Vim because I quite liked the modal editing and all the rest of it. Um, and I just could, couldn't could get into Vim script um, and really made a fairly concerted effort. Also tried learning Python in Vim. For whatever reason, it didn't seem very uh, Pythonic. I know that's a bit vague, but <laughs> kind of felt <laughs> like I was um, accessing Vim script through Python or something, but... Maybe I'm wrong about mm. that, but I did make a bit of an effort and also a little off-putting that anything I would write, uh, probably other people couldn't use because it doesn't use Python by default. And so, yeah, I just, just couldn't get the hang of VimScript and I'd heard that people could do a lot of um, nice stuff in Emacs and there were a lot of nice plugins. So I basically moved my um, Vim configuration to Emacs pretty much exactly the same, matching every key, you know, all the keystrokes and shortcuts and stuff. Yeah, just started using it, got it to a point where I was productive and then um, started writing a bit of Elisp, adding configurations and stuff that I really wanted to have in Vim but wasn't able to write. And so that was my my introduction. Um, and I used Stack Exchange a lot. So I would just have really basic things I would want to do or I would um, even split up, a say, a more complex plugin into some very basic steps and just ask how I could do them. And I asked a lot of questions on Stack Exchange 
and people were pretty good helping me with all the things that I, I needed to know and um, found it not that hard just to do basic stuff, even though it's a bit of a strange language. It wasn't so difficult. Uh, yeah, so that was sort of my introduction. Yeah, I just got to a point where I was happy with it and um, yeah, just continued to do some package development because I still run into things that I would like to do that aren't there by default, but mostly just using it and um, yeah, pretty happy with it. Yeah, how about you? Would you probably say that as far as experience goes, Cam's probably going to have more to contribute in this episode than myself just in terms of you've been using it a lot longer than I have. Um, it's fairly recent that I started uh, started using Emacs and myself. I recently watched a YouTube video where the channel um, owner was interviewing uh, the creator of Doom Emacs, uh, Henrik Listener. Um, and it sounds like his motivation for moving to Emacs was probably similar to yours, Cam, in that he, he was saying that he spent a lot of time um, when he was still using Vim, um, fiddling around with Vimscript, trying to get things set up in a way that he was satisfied with. And at a certain point, he um, he decided he had enough of, of Vimscript and couldn't handle um, dealing with it anymore. And that's what pushed him across to Emacs. So potentially wouldn't be surprised if there's um, a few people with a similar sort of story. Yeah. So people can always argue these points, you know, particularly with technologies that are extensible with different languages. So you can argue that maybe I should have learnt like Lua and NVIM, although I'm not sure that was very mature at the time because I started this around 2016, around five years ago. It's always possible that I missed out and just didn't didn't learn the things that I should have. But yeah, I made a fair effort and um, at some point just just gave up. And the thing is, I was asking questions uh, like on Stack Exchange, like how to do these, you know, very specific things. And sometimes the answer was like, you'd have to use someone's plugin and modify it. Or it wasn't just like, here's a few lines of code to do the thing you want to do. And I found that to be the case more often in Emacs. Hmm. Yeah. So for, for my story with, with Emacs, yeah, before I came across to Linux, um, I knew that I wanted to get into using a, a, a solid um, a text editor with a lot of a lot of you know, community backing, and I was pretty sure that that was going to end up being either Vim or Emacs. Without this was prior to me having any experience with either. I'd been intimidated by what I knew of the the scale um, of Emacs and. I decided that when I was um, starting to get into to using either, I'd start with Vim um, because it seemed like there was less of a barrier to entry uh, to get started with that. And I I, lo- I love the idea of modal editing and um, just the idea of trying to keep your typing as much as possible to uh, to the home row on the on the keyboard. And so, like from a, in a philosophical sense, that was what was most attractive to me at the time. And so. I decided that I'd start with Vim, and like I say, I'd never had any experience with it previously, so I started using, and it took a while to get used to get used to the modal editing and the uh, the, the key bindings and what have you. But um, you know, I stuck with it and, and managed to familiarise myself enough with it that I I became semi 
productive with it. I, I really need to practice more with the um, a lot of the Vim movement keys because there's there's a lot of power available there to um, to be really efficient with uh, with coding, and um, I'm not I'm not there with that yet. But um, it's just a matter of keeping up the practice um, and keeping sort of um, keeping a check on on all of the, uh, the the movement keys that are available. But I'd been using Vim for long enough that I felt, you know, a certain level level of confidence with it. And I started eyeing off Emacs more seriously at that point. And sort of contrary to your experience, Cam, that what I was reading online, there, there was a lot more talk about um, NeoVim. And I spent a bit of time trying NeoVim out because I wanted to move on from Vim to an editor that was more of a, a first-class citizen as a, a a GUI application as opposed to being much more tailored to um, using in the terminal. So the, the choice seemed to be either NeoVim or, or Emacs. And, and when I was looking at Emacs, it was always with the expectation that I was going to be trying it with um, the evil evil mode package uh, included because I wanted to if I was going to use Emacs I wanted it to be like Vim in terms of doing the actual text editing so I, I tried both NeoVim and um, Emacs but there's a few different features or apps um, that were available for Emacs that were specific to Emacs things like org mode and that sort of thing that that just seemed to be the people call them the killer yeah, app you know yeah. that that was yeah so and, <laughs> and that was a large part of what it, of what decided it for me, but I did. What got me over the line in the end was, I, I knew, always knew that I was, I was not ready to start off with uh, vanilla Emacs and start building up my own config. That was all way too intimidating for me. Um, so I knew that I was going to be going with some type of. Um, what do you call it, like a, a distribution of Emacs, something like Space Max, where you've got a, a pre-made config that already has all of the packages included and that sort of thing. And I tried Space Max a little bit, but it still seemed a, f- a bit opaque to me. Um, I had a bit of trouble familiarizing myself with how to move around and access different things. And um, so I, I didn't quite get into it at that time. But then eventually I came across... Uh, a, a framework for Emacs called Doom Emacs, which um, gets name dropped a lot in um, you know the Unix porn subreddit and all that sort of thing. And um, I I didn't really know much about it, but I ended up trying it out. And there's sort of similarities between Doom and and Space Max, but I'm not sure I can really put my finger on it exactly. But there's just something about Doom that's that was more attractive to me, and it it just it came off as being a little bit more uh, user-friendly and enticing than what I found with Space Max. And, and I really managed to, to get into Emacs then through through using Doom. So that was the, the story for me. Okay. So you use it for pretty much all your text editing now, just out of curiosity? It depends. Uh, to a large extent, that's correct. My intention is to keep moving over to Emacs in, in a wholesale sort of fashion as much as possible, which is still a bit of a process for me because I'm still somewhat used to uh, using my terminal as a, an IDE. So I've, I've got my um, Bash RC set up 
So it automatically runs everything through TMUX to to be able to have um, tab terminals and also do window splits and all that sort of thing. And and so I tend to use still use Vim a fair bit in terms of doing coding and then uh, evaluating stuff to to look at outputs and that sort of thing and file navigation also using Git as well on the command line, I'd be keen to really try and put more effort into staying in um, in Emacs as much as possible um, um, and really make that my most comfortable IDE because all, especially in Doom Emacs, all of the, the packages are there. It comes with um, make it um, out of the box and um, you know you've got um, d- uh, dead or dirt or whatever you have you pronounce it for you know file navigation stuff and that sort of thing and I um, I'm just I, I just haven't um, had enough practice using those things yet to be comfortable but that, that's my intention okay yeah from what you've just said it's made me think of a few things too yeah um, mm. yeah I don't really try to do everything in Emacs like a lot of people do I'm pretty happy to use the terminal for Git and that kind mm. of thing. I've tried to get into my Git a few times, and uh, it's never really, it's never really worked out for me. It's usually because I want to do quite specific things, and I just know how to do them on the command line. And then if I want to do them in my Git, it's like a real slog. And then even <laughs> if I can do it, it's like I have to remember all these key bindings, and it's it's that feeling you get when you're using like a wizard GUI type program that's supposed to be easy to use. But you're just like having to click around, mm. and I know the comparison's not quite accurate because you probably can use the key shortcuts. Yeah, no, but it, it's just like this I interface is in front of me asking me questions that I've never had to answer before to do something that I yeah. could just type in very quickly in the command line. Yeah, that's the tricky part of you know changing any sort of uh, tool that you have in your normal workflow is that there's a if if it's something new, then you don't have any prior experience. You, you're not used to the, um, you know, the environment and that sort of thing. So it takes time and, and effort to become familiar. Yeah, although I even asked on Reddit about this and um, there was people who were saying they hadn't really used Git out of my Git, like using, they learnt Git in my Git basically, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, it's it's good that they were able to do that. I feel like that'd be a potentially a friendlier way to familiarize yourself with Git. Yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't talk about my Git because I'll only say bad things. And <laughs> <laughs> like whenever I try and use it, it just infuriates me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just get immediately angry. And it's just, it's stupid stuff too. Like, uh, we maybe, maybe we should talk about that in the ugly section. No, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can potentially come back to it, but it may, maybe it's just because. From what what I understand, it strikes me is it's it's a bit more of a uh, an abstraction layer on top of the the regular um, command line Git, and maybe that's the frustration for you is you're used to having a little bit more direct control over um, how you operate Git, basically. Yeah. On top of that, you've got evil mode, and then the evil mode keys don't play nicely with the Git keys, and it's yeah. So we're getting mm. into some of the ugly stuff again, but um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I would like to, but I haven't really got into Magit yet. So in terms of your own experience, you don't feel like that's a you know, an important feature of Emacs, that the idea that you can spend so much of your time in it if if you wish. You know, that it's a it's a great operating system lacking only a decent editor. All that stuff, yeah. Not really. I'm I'm quite happy to use the use the shell for most things and just 
basically use Emacs as a text editor only. Mm. It means your use case is a bit different to other people's, but it's not such a big deal. Yeah. Mm. But it is interesting that, um, like, I use it for software development, for C and Python mainly. I feel like in some ways I'm in the minority because when you look on Reddit, at least, you know, a lot of people are doing stuff with org mode, managing their email or using the Git and doing these other things. And it's like just just being the person that uses it as a text editor, you feel like you're, you're sort of a bit on the outer. Although I'm not <laughs> sure if that's actually true or not, but yeah. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting point, yeah. As far as that sort of thing goes, it's potentially a bit of a different, uh, Emacs is potentially a fair bit of a different thing for you than it is for someone like me using Doom. Um, because for you, you know, you, your Emacs, your config, it's something that's you've hand rolled yourself over time and it's only, you've only built up, um, you know, uh, a set of packages and configs to suit your exact requirements. Whereas for me, it's, it's doom like space max is, you know, to, to Emacs is what distros are to Linux. Like it's, um, the, the intention is that if you, if you go with space max or, or doom Emacs, then that's because you've, you're buying into that, that platform as opposed to just, straight Emacs. So for someone like you, Cam, where your concern is just doing code editing, then it seems like it's much more appropriate that it's just vanilla Emacs with your, you know, personally tailored configs on top. Yeah, look, I could have gone either way. Um, and I could could have had something pretty much like what I have now, but with one of the, one of the pre-made uh, sort of distros or pre-made configs. Um, and I even I even did for a little while. And that was good just to see what um, what was possible because you don't know which packages to choose at the beginning. So it's nice to, to try one mm. or the other. Well, at the time it was Space Max, but it's nice to try that and just see what's out there. Once you start having to deal with any problems in, in one of the packages or sort of error messages and you're not sure where they come from and you need to sort of start hunting down some package that you may not even really want or depend on, it, it just feels a little bit like too much like bloat and... You're not really getting mm. getting much value out of it. So I just, since I was used to doing my own config in Vim, I just felt like um, I would just use the packages I wanted and make my own config in Emacs. Yeah. Since my my needs aren't so varied, it makes you know Doom and Space Max seem a bit like unnecessary middleware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although they do have great things in them that I probably aren't getting access to. So, you know, they're they're valuable mm. too. I just like, you know, things being pretty minimal and. If there's a problem, I know it's because it's a package I installed that mm. that's doing something that I need it to do. So moving on from how we got into it, like we said earlier, we're going to cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. What's good about Emacs, Cam? Well, it's just really extensible and there's a lot of uh, really nice packages available, basically. Mm. So the thing that I quite liked about it going into it was without being that experienced, you could usually get something that you wanted working in an afternoon. So it's like, okay, I've got this language loaded and I'm, you know, over this text and I want to, when I press a button, I want something to happen. Maybe context sensitive, checks to see what you're over and then, you know, opens up a program or, you know, runs it through standard output, manipulates it, loads it back. All this stuff, it was like fairly easy to do in an afternoon. And so I could just think of things 
that I would like to be able to do and usually be able to add them in. Sometimes it was a bit longer and I'd put them on the back burner because I wasn't experienced enough yet, but sort of bit by bit, I've just been adding all the functionality I want and nothing's been, well, I shouldn't say that. Some things have been pretty... (laughs) (laughs) There's there's been a few hassles there, but mostly things have gone pretty well. So you feel like Alisp is pretty... Easy, easy to get into. Yeah, once you get used to the quirks and there's a few oddball things going on, but you just accept them and um, yeah, you you can sort of piece bits of Elisp together pretty easily after a while. Mm. And I should just say, just on some positive notes, like it's interesting coming from Python, like not having um, Lisp's extensibility where you can you know define things and replace functions and override things in a way that allows you to extend code that you just... It's not that it's impossible in Python. You can do that stuff too. But it's sort of frowned upon and it's a bit clunky and difficult, mm. whereas in Elisp, it's, it's kind of the normal way to do things. Um, it is a bit of a mm. double-edged sword because, you know, some random package could be overriding a function in a way that you don't want it to. So you have to be careful and you have to trust that the packages you're using, um, you know, their developers are know what they're doing Mm. but even so you know assuming all those things work out it is pretty nice sometimes the way you can you know temporarily override a function or intercept it and you know extract the information that Mm. kind of thing to get things working how you want yeah it's a pretty um, big user community as well i found that quite good there's just like a lot of examples of uh, elisp and you know, people often talk about like languages, you know, if the language has a good design or, you know, how clean it is, um, you know, how it handles errors, the, all these, you know, attributes. But with Elisp, it's like an old language, but it just has a lot of practical benefits and a lot of example code. And um, yeah, it's it's quite nice in some ways, just that you've got all this, um, what would you say, sort of legacy of existing code that you can use as a reference. And um, like, it, it's actually pretty pragmatic in many ways. And you do have to overlook a few ugly warts as well. But overall, Mm. like, it's nice that I can get stuff working the way I want it to. And, you know, if I don't overthink all these weird sort of lisp. (laughs) uh, Lispisms. Yeah. Yeah, I still can't quite understand there's kada and kada-da-da and kada-da-da-da-da. Like, come on. I have no idea what any of that means here. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a function called CDR and another function called CDDDR and uh, okay. they just add more okay. Ds um, yeah, yeah. because it's sort of, you know, getting the element one further on. So that's like yeah, an extra yeah. D. Anyway, anyway there's, yeah, there's okay. weird quirks. I, I don't know if you, you could claim that's part of the language, but I mean, you see it mm-hmm. when you read other people's Elisp code. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a strong community, I think, is always um, very helpful. And, and you mentioned earlier how much you relied on um, Stack Exchange. And, you know, if there's a strong community in those sort of places, then it, yeah, it really helps to, to get someone new to it up and running quickly, I suppose. Yeah. So in terms of you, you say it's very conf- configurable. Um, just in terms of your experience between Emacs and Vim, would you say that, you know, Vim is just as configurable as um, Emacs, but um, the the issue with Vim is just how miserable VimScript is, or? No, Emacs is much more deeply configurable. Yeah, okay. And yeah. I wouldn't even necessarily say it's a good thing, because if all you want is to use Vim, then you've got the application there doing exactly what you want. Hmm. Whereas Emacs, you know, you might have 
something like evil mode, but then something might happen and uh, you might jump out of it by accident or mm. whatever. You know, there's 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 layers of complexity and that's, mm. you know, one of the downsides I find with Emacs is you've got these layers of complexity mm. that sometimes, rarely, but it does happen, you kind of have to dig into to figure out what's going on. Mm. Um, so I don't mind, you know, a small, a small call written in a sort of a, usually a compiled language and then you have less of uh, the scripting on top or the scripting sort of has to fit in with the, how the core is maintained, um, which is what Vim does. Whereas with Emacs, like you can you can write completely different editors within it and people have done that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a sort of a double-edged sword. That aspect of it being both good and bad, it's um, I've heard people say that, you know, um, that Emacs is, is a complex system and, um, yeah, like you say, that it goes both ways. It gives you a lot of a lot of uh, power and control, but um, it also um, has the potential to create a lot of a uh, lot of issues. Yeah, and it's it's tricky because you know when you you ask the question like, is this possible? Like, I want to do this thing in my editor. Is it possible? And in some sense, if it's software, the answer is always yes. You know, because mm. at some point you can go and rewrite parts of it or whatever. But you know, with with something that's more limited like Vim, the answer might be in practice no. Yeah. Like you would need to modify the C code and recompile it. These things aren't exposed. No, you can't do that. You can't change, I don't know, the certain features you just wouldn't add um, in, in VimScript. Whereas with Emacs, mm. the answer is more often yes, but that doesn't mean you should do it. Or if you do it, mm. you may run into all sorts of weird problems or conflicts with other packages or whatever. Mm. So I feel like um, this being extremely configurable can be a little bit of a trap because you can think that some some sort of uh, change or some improvement you can make will be possible, and it is technically possible. But at the end of it, you just think, "No, I'm not gonna <laughs> like this." Isn't you know this isn't maintainable, or it's yeah. it's just gonna cause problems. And you don't always know that going into it. Sometimes you discover by the end of doing it that it's it's not worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> after you've after you've already come to come too far. Yeah. 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 So maybe I should give some concrete examples of this. Hmm. Feels a little bit fuzzy otherwise. Just as an example, I wanted to do um, spell checking for all on-screen text. And to my surprise, um, that isn't something that Emacs does by default. It will only um, spell check words that you type, or you can manually run like a spell check on the entire buffer, but that can take a few seconds, sometimes on large files. So sort of neither of them were that practical. And so I was looking hmm. to do a, a spell checker that just runs the command to spell check the words, but only on visible text. And I kind of got it working, but it was shenanigans with external processes and timers and stuff, and it's kind of a hassle. And it is possible to get it working, but I ended up just writing my own spell checker package that doesn't use an external process. And incidentally, it ends up being like significantly faster because it turns out calling processes has quite a lot of overhead and storing the entire dictionary in memory on a modern system isn't really that big of a deal. Mm, yeah, yeah. We're getting into the bad. We keep creeping into the bad. Maybe I should... No, 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 no. We're into the bad <laughs> We're into now, the bad yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, so a few things like that happened to me early on where I I ran into some functionality that I was sure like someone must have thought of or must have wanted before. So I felt like all these Emacs users had Stockholm Syndrome or something where they were just used <laughs> to these strange limitations, like really arbitrary limitations and no one seemed to complain or have any problems with it. And I was just sort of bewildered. Like, how can people 
use this system. Um, <laughs> but it was sort of very specific things like like the undo behavior. We better not get into too much detail because that's a rabbit hole. But um, yeah, actually, just quickly, <laughs> no, no, just just quickly, um, your uh, did you do a package to to, to manage un- undo? Yeah, yeah, I did my own undo package. Is that what's in Doom? Yeah, yeah, Doom uses it now. Listener, if you happen to be using Doom, then there's some there's some valuable contributions there from Cam. Well, one, maybe, <laughs> if I've got it enabled, but I think it's default now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was strange because, I mean, the undo thing, that really made my blood boil at the time because uh, <laughs> quite a few times I'd lost my entire undo history from undo tree. Um, which was just default. Like I didn't know any better. You, you have undo mm. and redo and you just think, okay, that's how it goes. But then I'd get these er- error messages and more than once, you know, it was a time when I really wouldn't have wished to lose my undo history because I'd mm-hmm. undone a whole lot of things to copy and paste something so I could redo and then, you know, paste it back in. It had lost the history or it had some weird canary error I felt like there's a sacred pact between me and the editor, and that is you do never, <laughs> ever lose my undo history. And it's like, what yeah. the heck is going on? So I looked into it a little bit and discovered it was undo tree. And there were all, all these people saying that can't be undo tree or that they had never had it. And if you just tweak these things, but I tweaked these settings that they suggested and ran into it multiple times, this undo tree problem. And then I discovered that you don't even need to use undo tree and that you can use Emacs as regular undo um but it had a few problems or it didn't support redo in the way that most users would expect so i I went on to write a very very simple wrapper and this is the thing i wasn't that experienced with elisp at the time it wasn't that hard to write the basic part of it was like i don't know 50 lines of code maybe 30 or something it was very short and i was just surprised no one else had done this but i mean the undo foo package that's what it's called now um even though the package is now a bit bigger the basics like the core of it is only a, you know not that much code at least yeah. yeah 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 so i probably should explain what i mean by undo uh, that works like i want <laughs> and that is like i have an undo key i have a redo key and the redo key doesn't go past the point when i started undoing that's sort of that's the summary yeah, and I mean, like, we, we probably shouldn't get into it too much, and, and I'm, I'm not really familiar, but my understanding is, that, like, the, the, the classic um, undo-redo behavior in Emacs is, is significantly more complex than that. In some sense, it is actually quite simple, but you can end up in weird situations. Um, you can, it can end up being quite confusing as a mm. user. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, while we're on the the bad stuff, and I mean, like, we've brought up a couple of these things as as bad aspects, but in the in the midst of that, you're talking about you know developing a, a package to to use to resolve the issue. So, if you have the wherewithal, it's potentially possible to um to be able to work around um even the um the issues that that people sometimes have with Emacs. But I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is. I'm not sure how much of this is associated with um, with Doom in particular or whether it's something that's uh, just applicable in general as far as Emacs goes, but I, I feel compared to my experience of using Vim in the terminal, when I'm using Emacs uh, to do code editing, it's often 
you know, quite snappy and responsive, but there is times where it feels like it's it's quite heavy compared to using Vim in, in the terminal. And I'm not exactly sure what it is that gives it that feeling, but Cam, you've sort of said previously that that's potentially, I mean, the, the thing with the distributions of, of Emacs like Doom is that, you know, it's basically you know, a system that, that ships with Emacs with a whole heap of um, uh, pre-installed packages on top as well as all the config stuff. So, you know, there's potentially lagginess being introduced by, you know, certain packages that, that come, you know, included out of the box with something like Doom. So maybe that's what the issue is, but that's just something I've noticed in terms of, you know, the comparison between using Vim and, and Emacs. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm a bit wary of uh, of these distributions. They tend to include the kitchen sink and then, you know, you'll be editing a file that's particularly large or there'll be something you're doing which is maybe a little a little out of the ordinary and, you know, one of the many packages that are running will stall and you won't know why and then you've got a problem to solve. You have to figure out what's going on. And, yeah, mm. I think it would be nice if, if um, these things happened less and less. But even with the fast computer some of these packages really, you know, st- start to slow down um, your computer. Yeah, and yeah I, I just prefer to use a pretty minimal setup because of that. And it also means if, if you're using a minimal setup, it's much easier to figure out what's taking time. You can turn yeah. things off and, yeah. Yeah. I should say that as far as my experience goes, it's not particularly onerous, the that that feeling of bloat that I've I've noticed it's it's you know it's not really any real concern to me in terms of normal day to day usage and my understanding is that um, Henrik the um, the the Doom maintainer is you know very he's very committed to you know continuing to work with um, you know that the the package maintainers to make sure that everything that's included with Doom um, works together as efficiently as possible. And one other thing that we included in the the bad list was it's not something that I've had experience with, but um, for people that aren't using evil mode um, in Emacs, which we might not have already explained, but evil mode is basically Vim uh, key bindings um, in, in Emacs, um, which is not the the normal out-of-the-box uh, key bindings for Emacs. Um, for, for, for those people that are just using uh, vanilla Emacs um, uh, keyboard layouts, I've heard that um, there's a... Apparently, there's a lot of uh, use of uh, key combinations, key chords, where you know you have to do control this key or that key, and people talk about getting Emacs pinky, where you're basically um, contorting um, the outer extremities of your hands into all sorts of positions to be able to get the key chords that you need to. So. Uh, like I say, no experience personally with that, and that's why I love evil mode, and that's why um, I've I was always keen on making sure that I was familiar with uh, Vim Vim keys um, before moving on to anything else. So that would just be my recommendation: start with Vim and then move on to e- Emacs. Yeah, well, neither you or I would get Emacs pinky, I think, because we've both got these fancy keyboards uh, with modify keys on our thumbs that's that's true you put them wherever you want but i've got you know control on, on the thumb cluster yeah um and i wouldn't even mind trying to learn emacs uh sort of sort of emacs native key bindings but I, it's just 
I don't have, really have enough time at the moment, what with <laughs> a new baby and stuff. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, finding the time. And I, I'm not really that uh, motivated either too. Like it'd be curious, I'd be curious to do it, but yeah, I just, you just don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it comes back to, you know, the, for, for me, I, I was really in early on, I was really attracted by the, um, the, the idea of how Vim movement keys worked and, um, and how it's a little bit off topic, but, um, there was a few resources that I found online that sort of talked about this, uh, this philosophy with Vim where the the idea is that, you know, a lot of uh, editors focus on, um, uh, putting new content into the, the document that you're editing. Whereas, you know, the, the, the creators of Vi and, and Vim, um, had the understanding that, um, a large part of what you do in, in an editor is to edit content that you've already got sitting in the buffer for Vim keys. It's really, there's really a focus on, um, being able to quickly and easily move around and, and, um, cut and move, um, bits and pieces. So that's, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know whether there's particular sort of key layouts that, uh, cause more more problems in terms of RSI and issues like that. But for me, um, there's there was just a really captivating um, sales pitch for um, for Vim keys yeah. to begin with. Yeah, there's quite an interesting set of um, other sort of alternatives to evil mode in Emacs where people have sort of done things similar modal editing setups, but mm. um, not not Vim based, so Zar Fly Keys is one, but I can't remember the other ones offhand. There's a few that are popular. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm sure the sort of people that are interested in that stuff can can dive into it. It's just curious that that there are some reasonably well maintained alternatives. The, the issue I have is that I would have to spend a long time to figure out if it's even something I want to do. Hmm. But it's it's nice that they exist and it. Some of them yeah, seem pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. If I was going to change my keyboard layout, like if I was going to go to Colmac or Workman or something, I'd consider switching to, um, you know, like something other than evil mode, basically, because then you'd mm. lose the HJKL, you know, navigation yeah, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that's the bad stuff. Um, onto the ugly. We've potentially covered off this to a certain extent, but, um, uh, I, again, I don't really have a lot of experience with um, ELISP, but I I hear tell that it's a bit of a strange beast, a bit of, maybe a bit of an ugly one. I don't know. What's your thought on that, Cam? Well, the way that you use LISP, you, you can kind of build a lot on what's there and extend on what's there, but that means there's a really strong incentive not to change it because if people have already mm. been hooking into existing code, you know, going and changing the argument order or renaming functions and this kind of thing, it will break a lot of code um, in a way that might not be the case if you're a bit more uh, strict with public and private APIs and that kind of thing. Although people mm. do have that in, in ELISP sort of by convention, um, you, you still end up kind of hooking into things in existing code that you might not in uh, other applications there seems to be a strong um, bias towards just things just growing and staying as they are, adding adding things here and there, maybe very occasionally breaking things. 
when you sort of jump in from other languages and other ecosystems, it does seem very odd and very strange. Um, just the conventions and the naming and sort of the lack of consistency, particularly from Python, because they're, you know, a lot of Python APIs strive for consistency in naming and stuff. Whereas with um, Emacs, it's it's a bit of a hodgepodge. Hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, well, things don't break very often and, you know, your code will probably run in many years' time or maybe run with some minor changes. So there's like a bit of a, on the flip side, there's a bit of an assurance there that you can trust the Emacs project not to just like rewrite things and throw all sorts of things away that's going to break your code. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so, and complaining about it, it feels a bit like complaining about the English language. It's like, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> sure, there's lots of weird spellings and things. Yeah, maybe that's, as that's you a good would, analogy. You know, things are the way they are and they're a bit quirky and you, you sort of get used to it. Doesn't mean it's great, but um, there is value in it, it being this way, even yeah, if you wouldn't yeah. make it that way from scratch. That's just my sort of rough overview from having, yeah, no, having makes written, sense. written some ELISP. Um, the user interface as well, um, it's personally, it doesn't bother me, but if you load up a default sort of just a vanilla Emacs, it is a bit, well, it doesn't look very uh, polished by today's sort of mm. conventions and standards. As to what yeah. people would expect from, you know, VS Code and Atom and other other yeah. editors. Yeah. Again, from what I some of what I gleaned from this uh, podcast interview with Henrik, the um, the creator creator of Doom, um, it sounds like you know he, he always for him personally he always had a, a large focus on the the visual aesthetic of the editor he was working with, and uh, to begin with for Doom when it was just his personal config, um, you know, a, a big focus for him was just on getting Emacs to look the way um, he preferred, and um, just because you know Emacs doesn't look anything like uh, something like VS Code or you know, Adam out of the box doesn't mean it's not possible to make it look like that. It's just, um, it's just a matter of getting it set up. Sort of flip flop on this one on the whole topic because people often get a bit too fixated in the way things look. But of course, it does matter, and first impressions matter. And you know, people will get an mm. impression that something's sort of old and dodgy if they uh, open it up for the first time and see this strange interface that isn't what they would expect or. <laughs> You know, it doesn't look it doesn't look so favourable compared to other alternatives. I think that for a lot of people, the way that Emacs looks when it's fresh, um, and just the the way Emacs um, as a product is pitched, it's all it's all a bit sort of large and and vague, um, and and it I think it creates a bit of an issue for Emacs in terms of. Um, making it seem like it's not very approachable to certain people um, because, you know, people are more used to having um, a product like VS Code that's got a much more um, obvious uh, visual identity and and it's much more obviously just like a, a, um, a you know, a full IDE, whereas, you know, there's with something like Emacs, it's like, well, you know, for someone that doesn't know a lot about it, they might ask, "What well, what is Emacs? And it's more than just a text editor, but it's hard to sort of define exactly what it is and what it offers. Um, I'm not sure if that's an issue or not. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually could have mentioned that earlier, but early on I thought, okay, I'm going to try this Emacs thing and I 
pretty much know what I think about the ideas that are around at the time and I know what I think about Vim. I'm just going to try Emacs and then I'll have an opinion on Emacs. You know, like I'll know whether I think it's good <laughs> or not. And, and then you you try and read people's like explanations of Emacs and then say, oh, well, it's like a, it's like a Lisp machine and you can do anything. And it's like, yeah, okay. But I, it's like you can't make that concrete in your head. It's like, okay, you can, yeah. this is a system that you can do anything in. Great. But I, I want to edit text, please. Can you, <laughs> can you give me undo and a spell checker? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> so being all flexible and stuff it, it means everything the answer to everything kind of ends up being yes but also it's complicated <laughs> you know what I mean and it's like often that's not what people want to hear if you want to get something mm. done it's like yes there's a package or like yes it's very easy just click this button or something but you know, if the answer is like, yes, you can tweak your config and learn a new language, I think that's beyond... Well, it's it's not even that it's beyond people. It's that it's it's a lot of investment for something that you're not sure if you want to use. Hmm. And so when people sort of give you these like vague answers, it's off-putting because you just don't know if the time is well spent going through the hoops they're hmm. suggesting you jump through to, to figure out how to get something working. Yeah, yeah. So that's well, that's a fairly big downside, I think. Or maybe it's not a downside. It just could be a characteristic of anything that's extremely flexible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. give simple answers to it anymore. It's it's just like yeah. this is complex and it can't be simplified into a few short statements. Yeah, it's just, just the nature of the beast. You can make a summary of things, I suppose. You can say, well, you know, here's the editor. You can use the vanilla version. You can use the prepackaged configurations or you can um, build the things yourself here are some popular packages people often use go nuts hmm. i think that's yeah. that's actually in practice three options and you can have yeah. anything in between of course but they're sort of like the three main parts yeah and if a particular platform is significantly complex it doesn't necessarily need to hold it back um, um and it, or even stop you know um you know normies from from using it it's um it makes me think of elementary OS. Like, it's all about um, how how you handle the the branding and um, and how it's sort of um, pitched to people. Um, like for for elementary, there's information there if you dig, but um, they don't um, make a big song and dance about it being what the these nerds call a distribution of Linux or anything like that. The the website just says that um, elementary OS is a you know, a great operating system, alternative operating system for your computer. You know, like it's not really its own thing. It's just it's just leveraging all of the underlying technology, which is significantly complex, but it's just packaging it in a certain way to make it um, approachable for people, you know. So um, just because, uh, like I say, the underlying uh, platform is complex doesn't mean that that, that, that needs to be an impediment for it um, as long as you have things like, like Doom or, or what have you, um, you know, making it more available to a certain set of people. Yeah, yeah. And I think if the quality of the packages was higher, that would be true. We're talking about ugly things. I think you can ignore the internal details. If, for example, I had never, ever seen an error message between two packages not talking to each other properly. If that is something that I just wasn't aware that could even happen... Like I would say, okay, fair enough. Things that are complex are going on behind the scenes, but whoever distributes them, make sure everything works together nicely and you never have to worry about that. I find with Emacs, there ends up being a lot of little gotchas 
with that sort of thing where issues between packages or incompatibilities or something, things go wrong every now and again. So the abstractions that you try and layer on top can be leaky. That's that's the issue. I don't know if you would say leaky or they just fail. Hmm. They fail occasionally and either it's your problem because you're the person that decided to install two packages at once or, you know, it's the Doom maintainer's problem. But either way, these things don't always play as nicely together as you would like. And I deal with that by not installing loads of packages, just to keep it to a minimum and things tend to work fairly well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if someone asks you if they should use Emacs, what would your answer be to them? Use Vim first. Okay. No, I mean, um, that's probably what my answer would be, but that's just just from my personal approach. I, I don't see a, a, a better way of sort of um, finding a path in, but um, that's just, just because my brain works the way it does. It's not necessarily going to be the same for someone else, but that, that would be my answer, I suppose. What would your answer to that question be? I would ask them if they ever get that niggling feeling when they're doing something in the editor that there must be a better way. <laughs> and um, and if they could make things more efficient if they only knew how. And if that if they get that feeling every now and again, then maybe they'd consider using Emacs because it's, it's much more flexible than many other editors. Um, and even if they don't get that feeling, maybe they should and they're just not aware of all the awesome things Emacs could do. So they could just try Space Max for a bit or Doom or whatever. Yeah, see if there's something that they're missing out on or not. Yeah, that's a good pitch. Not being too much of a salesman there, but... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so should we finish up there? Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can find them at our website, which is conversationsincode.xyz. For any feedback, suggestions, or other thoughts, you can email us at conversationsincode at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time. See you later.